Welcome to ScotsCast, the Bible teaching podcast of Scots Church, Melbourne. Randomly, the other day, this post came up on my Facebook feed. You may be able to see it on the screen. A humorous example of why the English language is so ridiculously hard to master. Ironically titled, Why is English So Much Fun? It's an example sentence, if you can't say it, that uses the word had four times in a row and yet makes perfect sense. And to those of you here today who have actually had to learn English as a second language, you have my endless admiration. Oddly though, and this is sheer coincidence, the example sentence cuts right to the very heart of the point of our passage in James this morning. An idea, in fact, that carries right through the letter. And while the sentence may be awkwardly constructed and slightly ridiculous, James would say the person who the sentence describes is even more so slightly ridiculous. So let me read it to you if you can't see it. All the faith he had 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 no effect on the outcome of his life. Perhaps better all the faith he claimed he had 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 no effect on the way he lived. How would you like that on your gravestone? How would you like to be known as the kind of person who claimed loyalty to Jesus? Which is how last week I suggested we could define the kind of faith James is talking about here. A person who claimed loyalty to Jesus and yet there was no visible evidence to back it up. Grammatically, that sentence might make perfect sense, but James says in every other way it is nonsense. It's a theme that he'll unpack through the next few chapters. We're just catching the opening ideas this morning. But James puts it this way. He says, what's the point of claiming faith if you're not going to actually listen to the word and then do something? What's the point of listening if you're not going to do? Verse 22. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone who looks intently at their natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he or she will be blessed in their doing. Now look, I've got to admit, you get to an age where looking in a mirror isn't much help anymore because there's not much you can actually do about what you see there. But leave that aside for a moment because the whole point of a mirror, and back in those days they used to use a disc of highly polished bronze, the whole point of a mirror was the same as it is now, that you can check your appearance before you go out and fix what needs fixing. Fix that stray hair. 
wipe off that leftover breakfast. Straighten your tie. I've got this weird thing happening with the cartilage in my left ear. It kind of clicks out of shape and I don't notice. Uh, always a good idea to check in the mirror. But what does it say about you if you pause to look in the mirror? You see the egg yolk on your face, your hair's a mess, your tie's crooked. And you're somehow distracted by something else. So you walk away. Do nothing about it. So that's what it's like, says James, if you are a hearer of the word and not a doer. That's his point back in verse 19. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Button your lips a little bit more. Replace your impulsive anger with a bit more patience. Get rid of your unrighteousness instead of arcing up and justifying it. And instead, he says, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. Which is, in other words, the message of the gospel that implants in hearts and brings change. The word of the death and resurrection and ascension and rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who, as we saw last week, calls us to undivided loyalty, not just adhering and ignoring, but listening and doing. Not just of looking in the mirror and forgetting what we see, but of catching a glimpse of how we really are. And then repenting by doing differently to what we did before. All the faith he had 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 no effect on the outcome of his life. It's not an option, says James. He says, the guy or girl who looks in the mirror and walks away and forgets, James says, there is no benefit in that. No blessing in looking and forgetting, but blessing in actually doing. Which he then brings to bear on two things that are incredibly practical. How they use their tongues with one another, which you'll say lots more about in chapter 3. And how they treat the poor which he'll detail in chapter 2 and elsewhere. And maybe there's a mirror for us to look into here as well. Didn't count them myself to check, but I read the other day that one in every ten verses in the Gospels is about how we treat the poor, and in James, one verse in every five is about caring for the poor. Now look, of course, it's not a new idea. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were meant to be distinctive in the way they cared for the widows and orphans and refugees among them. We heard an example this morning in that first reading from Deuteronomy chapter 24, in that because Israel was to always have a strong corporate memory of the way they started out as slaves in Egypt, it's meant to carry over in the way they always leave a little bit behind when they harvest to provide for the widows and the orphans and the refugee. I could have equally chosen a similar passage from Exodus 22 or Exodus 23 or Leviticus 23 or Deuteronomy 10 
or Deuteronomy 14 or 15 or 26 or 27. I could have chosen to read from Psalm 68, Psalm 72, Psalm 146, Proverbs 15, Proverbs 22, Job 29, Job 31, Isaiah 1, Isaiah 10, Isaiah 58, Jeremiah 5, Jeremiah 7, 22, Ezekiel 16 and 22, Amos, Zechariah. Now don't worry if you couldn't see that list on the screen. The point is, there are loads of them. And remember, these are Jewish Christians who have known the Old Testament scriptures all their lives, now free, of course, from the yoke of punishment and slavery under the law because of Jesus. More importantly, free to do right with a desire that is meant to flow from their changing hearts. But of course, they actually need to get up and do something, not just hear the words, not be like the fool who looks in the mirror. Now, friends, you're here at Scott's Church this morning. I don't know, though, if being truly religious is something that's even on your agenda. It's not so much even a popular idea anymore, except in a maybe vaguely spiritual way. But time was a certain type of person liked to think of themselves as being upright and religious. And it was all measured by Sunday. You might secretly have that view of yourself, given that you, you know, maybe you've come along here to Scots all your life. And of course, there's great music and a pipe organ and a choir. You might wear your Sunday best, put on a religious Sunday attitude and be very piously Presbyterian. Seems to me there might be people James has in mind who are still pretty piously proud of their Jewish heritage. with Maybe a slight Christian overlay. And yet it seems it's only skin deep and the word of the gospel hasn't really implanted in their hearts and changed them at all. And so they're no different. Which means, says James, they're not really religious at all in the way that really counts. And maybe, in spite of appearances, just maybe, could be a little bit true of you as well. Best ask yourself the question. Have a good hard look in the mirror. First of all, just briefly today, because we'll deal with it more in a couple of weeks, first of all, the tongue problem. When you look in the mirror, do you see someone who is known for their sharp and cutting tongue? Cuts other people down without even thinking about it. Acerbic might be the word that comes to mind. Critical. Or maybe in another way, maybe just someone who takes up all the space talking about yourself, never really listening to anyone else because deep down, you're not really that interested. Well, here's the thing. James says, if anyone thinks they are religious and does not bridle their tongue, but deceives their heart. This person's religion 
is worthless. Ouch. Look in the mirror again. Do you see someone there who, functionally speaking, who when the rubber hits the road, in a practical sense, cares about nobody but yourself? And I guess your immediate family circle. There is poverty and hardship all around you and you just don't notice and you just do nothing. Because ultimately, well, it's their own fault, isn't it? When you worked hard for what you got, they don't really want to work, do they? James says this, back to religion again, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Widows and orphans in the first century world, the most vulnerable in the community. No social security, no means of support, bereft of a patriarch in a patriarchal society. In Old Testament Israel, again, the litmus test of them as a nation was how they cared for the weakest. For Jesus, you might remember, the source of his anger at the temple hierarchy, who he said devoured widows' houses and extracted every last cent from them. Now, maybe it's not widows and orphans these days who are most vulnerable. But friends, let's open our eyes. It's interesting. You know, the real mark, I suspect, of the quality of Scott's church isn't measured by the scintillating sermons on a Sunday or the quality of the choir singing the cantata. Maybe in God's eyes, it's what happens through the week, particularly on a Monday and a Tuesday at our mission out in Flemington where a little team of volunteers give their time and their effort and their money to caring for the disadvantaged. The refugee mums with their little kids who so look forward to the weekly food hamper that's taken our team dozens and dozens of man and woman hours to pick up from the food bank and package up into a hundred hamper baskets to give out on a Tuesday morning. If you're looking for a definition of what it means to be religious, if you're looking for an example of what real worship looks like, don't look so much here on a Sunday. Look there on a Tuesday morning. Or the way perhaps you buy lunch for a homeless guy in the corner of Lonsdale Street. Or the way you give generously to the Salvos Appeal. Or the way you look for opportunities to share what you've been blessed with, even when it's costly or inconvenient. Now, friends, to be honest, I know there are astonishing examples of people here at Scott's who do that by reflex and make a big difference. But interesting, did you notice our first reading from Deuteronomy? It was all about microeconomics. 
leaving a sheaf in the field, a few grapes on the vine. It doesn't have to be grand. And maybe for you, this is a new idea. So maybe just look to make a small start like that. Lou and I love supporting Cafe Isis just off Flinders Lane. Now, on the one hand, the coffee is really good. On the other hand, they do this. If you can't see it on the screen, there's a sign on the wall that says, Pay it forward. And for $3.50 from you, they'll provide a meal for a homeless person. Currently, they're serving, they say, 30 people a day. Now, that's not huge, but it's something. Here's a practical suggestion. What about a bunch of us from Scots? Well, to go there just one or two at a time over the next few weeks and months, and on top of our coffee and cake, why not pay it forward for 10 homeless people? Maybe even 30 homeless people, a whole day of them. I don't know, maybe even the next 100. Here's the thing, don't even have to cook the meals. Don't have to invent a new charity. Don't have to join a committee. Just add a dash of generosity to your coffee order. Cafe Isus, Santa Place. Now, friends, little gestures like that, they're not going to solve the homelessness problem in Melbourne. Our Brendan up at the Salvation Army is working full steam ahead and feels it's just a drop in a very, very big ocean. But the point is, for each of us, if one by one we could make sure our religion isn't just empty words, and show that by showing to others the same sort of generosity we've been shown by the Lord Jesus to us. Then you see it is a powerful sign of the fruit of the seed of that sown gospel. Not that our works of charity save us, but that they're a sure sign of the fruit of what James calls that implanted word that saves our souls, our faith at work. Which, as I said, James is going to expand at length in chapter 2. So, look in the mirror. See yourself. And maybe just in a few ways this week, remember what you see long enough to tidy up around the edges. Trim your tongue, maybe. Shine up your compassion. Because what a terrible shame if apart from the awkward English, your only epitaph was that all the faith she had 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 no effect on the outcome of her life. You've been listening to Scott's Cast, the Bible teaching podcast of Scott's Church, Melbourne.